Okay, moving on to text message. We've got a few text messages that come through. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one says, Considering the Bible calls all believers saints, that's what the Bible does, that's amusing. That uh-huh. They kind of have a list of saints, and they have now, <laughs> they are now in the process of desaintifying a saint. It's like, well, he's guaranteed. We know he's in heaven, so you can pray with him, and we'll put him on our list of saints and put him on our calendar so that this is his particular day that you pray with this particular individual because it's not prayed to because it's Anglican saint. Mm-hmm. Um he says, considering the Bible calls all believers saints, that's amusing. We are so blessed to know the truth. I was a Catholic for half of my life. The word of God shone its light on me and saved me from mm. the darkness. And, yeah. Man, that's so ha- oh, but, As I said before, bro, we can cancel people out of heaven now. That's insane. It's pretty wild. <laughs> it's pretty wild. When the cancel culture reaches out and touches heaven and somebody gets desanctified, that's... <laughs> That's off the charts. Oh, anyway, so uh, it's ama- next, te- next text message here. It's amazing that we should even have a discussion on women, on, 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 on women competing with men. Mm. Oh, this is absolutely true. Only in 2021 would it be possible to have this discussion. Mm. Never before in the history of humanity would have humanity been as bizarrely insane as to have this particular Discussion that we're having it's just right so here. Anti women, like that's it the thing is. That gets it me. is. This is all about the deletion of women. You know, you think about it. All the women's records in sports, yeah, just gone. Well, they were already broken over the weekend at the World Weightlifting Championship by a, by a trans woman. Male. Yeah, biological male. Um, think of all of the trophies that they're going to, that women are going to miss out on that are going to be mm. taken from they're just they're just never going to have but there's also you know the, yeah the nobleness of sport itself being the best at something and giving your all for it and 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 competing in a category that represents your demographic as well like that's the thing is that it's it's fair to everyone how many amazing athletes are never going to be discovered because they never try, because they're never interested, because the outcome has already been decided beforehand mm. by biological men? Yeah, that's intense. How many teams will never exist? How many teams yeah. will never come together? Like probably one of the most uh, inspiring Australian sporting moments of all time is, you know, Kathy Freeman at the 2000 Olympics, you know, getting out there and absolutely dominating the 100 metres. Um, and Imagine was, what the world would be like without Kathy Freeman if she never existed. Yeah, because that was so inspiring that's, that's for, our future. for Australian, for Indigenous people. Like, it was yes. it was an incredible moment in sport. It was amazing. And it's like, oh, what, well, this doesn't happen now because you have, you know, biological males competing. That's the future. That's the future. You know, you, you imagine a uh, a world with, with no Venus Williams and Serena Williams. Mm-hmm. That's the future that we're looking at because these people simply won't exist in the future. Mm. Um, so we've got, we've got injuries skyrocketing, um, titles that have now been handed to, taken from women and handed to biological males. Mm. Imagine the crowds. You know, the crowds are going to disappear and, you know, how are you going to ch- stand up and cheer when the, when the outcome is already decided before, mm. the, before the competition even begins? You know which mm. way it's going to go. I mean, the World Weightlifting Championships is a, is a prime example right there. You already know what's going to happen. Mm. Um, there's, there's no competition in all that. The applauds, the accolades, all gone. And this is the one that worries me probably um, more than anything else is the scholarships. Yeah, well. Gone for women. Mm. No longer accessible for women. That's the future that we're talking about right here. And, of course, that, with that being pushed out of the rankings, being pushed out of the teams, 
It's just it's just truly bizarre. It's, it's interesting when you talk about the Williams sisters because they once um, stated that they could beat any man who was not in the top 200 rankings. Yeah. And so there was a guy who was 203rd in the world um, who put up his hand. He's like, yeah, I'll have a crack at that. So, you know, you're going up against the number one, mm-hmm. the number one and the number two in the world, and uh, a guy who's 203 in the world puts up his hand. I'm like, I'll have a crack at that and just smashed them. Yeah. 6121. Oh, sorry, 6162. Yeah, well. You know. And, and and they came away sort of, you know, a little bit more humbled by that and like, wow, there's no idea. Yeah, and, and this is like, you know, I remember um, a story. This was from like a few years back. I think it was like 2016. This, so we have the Matildas soccer team in Australia, which is the, the female soccer team that represents us at the Olympics and yes. World Soccer Championships and everything. And they versed the Jets under-15s boys squad um, in a training exhibition uh, in Newcastle. And they got like beat like... 4-1 or something. Yeah. And it was like... That's not fair yeah, competition. But it's like, okay, like... Well, you, you take, you take for instance, um, Alison Felix, right? She's got more Olympic gold medals than Usain Bolt. Mm. What what sport does she compete in? Running. Yeah, okay. So she's got more Olympic medals than Usain Bolt, and yet um, there's at least 300 high school boys that are posting... Times quicker. Th- quicker times. Mm. Uh, running, uh, that's actually a really good thing, you know, because when you talk about tennis and soccer and all that, they're competitive sports and there's that... They're e- also strategic. Yeah, there's that, like, you know, technique and strategy, whereas, like, running is... And there's, yeah, obviously, there's technique and strategy in running, but to a much more limited degree versus those sports. And it's, like, like where it is just a pure race of horsepower, you know, at that top end. And it's like, oh, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. It's just... It, it it reminds me of this passage in the Bible. I have to read it. I just have to read it because uh, Romans chapter 1 has never been more relevant than what it is today. And Romans 1, I encourage you all to go and read it for homework. It's one of those things that you would be scared to read in public today, but I'm just going to read a little bit of it. It says, Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imagination and their foolish heart was darkened. Mm. So they knew that God existed, but they're like, no, we're going to be vain about this. We're not going to acknowledge God. And the Bible says their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Mm. And we look at our world today and our world, our world has become, the, the whole narrative is just being driven by fools. Mm. By insanity, you, you could never have this discussion for the last 6,000 years. This discussion would never have happened in any society. Mm. It's just bizarre. Oh, I'm yeah, sidetracked. Well, no, nah, it's fine. It just, it just shows like, like, you know, yeah, we've just progressed into darkness and it's sad. I, I like it, the ways that we progressed into, into darkness. darkness. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Okay, so here's a super interesting one, uh, text message. Before I read this text message, uh, when was the last time that you saw a movie, uh, name me a movie, a movie that uh, depicts a family, you know, mum and dad and two kids. Depicts, it's a depiction of a family um, where, the, um, where the father is the hero of the family and the mother is just a complete loser. Um. Okay, and, and the reason I say that is because of this text message. For the last 30 years, the entertainment industry and advertising industry has made men look and sound like idiots. I watched a movie the other night 
And it was all about the man being an idiot. And it wasn't until he learned how to think and act like a woman that he sort of, you know. Did Shell put that one on? Became a, uh, <laughs> ah, she may have done so. <laughs> um, you know, we know it's all part. And, and I've watched so many movies where the father is just, he just doesn't he's get it. Out he's, of touch. He's yeah. just out of touch and he just doesn't get it. Name me, name me a movie where the opposite is the case. Think about that. I, I, you know, the entertainment advertising industry has made men look and sound like idiots. We know it's all part of the plan to destroy the families uh, by making wives and children lose respect for the fathers. God has God made male and female, and they were perfect in his sight. Their brains were specifically made to complement each other. Sin changed all that. That is where we are today. Communication breakdown. God help us. I will say this. Yes. In, in somewhat of a rebuttal to this point. Okay. Because I can think of numerous movies where the dad is the hero. Yes. And, but, and because the dad is the hero, the wife, but the wife isn't the loser. You know, they're, they're, they're fighting as a family unit against some kind of, you know, struggle or evil or whatever. You know, you can put this in very many contexts. But it seems as though when the father is leading the family correctly, the family is sorted out. And I feel like... That speaks to the role of the father in the family that, like, if the father is a loser, well, then the family's going to struggle. And I use that loser. But how many of those movies start off with the father being a loser and not getting it? Maybe not such a loser. Maybe that's too strong of a word, but just not getting it. Yeah, but, you know, it, it depends on what movie we talk about. You know, I, there's, like, movies that depict all kinds of situations. And I can think of movies where the father was, like, was the yeah, hero, okay. did For sure. get it, all no those question kinds about of things. That. I'm asking whether there's one that is the opposite. Because we can, I can, yeah, I could, I, I could sit I, here and list all day movies where it starts off and the dad just, just doesn't get it and he's a bit of a, you know, Best case scenario is somebody who doesn't get it. Worst case scenario is a, is a, is a, is a total uh, loser. And uh, but you don't find the mother fulfilling those roles in the media. Mm. But okay, maybe I'm going to sound maybe I'm going to sound unsympathetic. I don't know. I don't really care. Like Hollywood, Hollywood can Hollywood is trying to destroy families. They're just trying to destroy lives. Why should we worry about it? Like yeah, exactly. Just have nothing to do with Hollywood and the problem is solved. Hundred percent. Just delete Twitter. You, as well, Netflix. delete Netflix. Get out of there, bro. Just watch movies that come from different locations. No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. But but uh, my point is, yeah, people try. Like, I understand the point that this person's making. At the same time, I kind of just, I'm I'm so just. Oh, what's the word? Uh, of being like a. Not really get, indifferent. I'm so indifferent to the point. I'm like, look, you know, it, it's it's not something that affects me. And I think that it's not something that would affect a, people if people just stopped taking it seriously. I think that the Bible teaches that by beholding we are changed. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think that. I know that because that's yeah, what the Bible says. Clearly. Mm. And so you can't watch this kind of material over and over and over again with it ha- without it having some effect. Mm-hmm. Oh, 100%. Yeah. So then don't. Exactly. That's my whole point right there. I like that. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 11 and verse 8. Jeremiah 11 and verse 8. Jeremiah 11 and verse 8. As I turn there, second minor, uh, sorry, second major prophet of the Old Testament, 
Jeremiah chapter 11 and verse 8, the Bible says this, but your ancestors did not listen or even pay attention. Instead, they stubbornly followed their own evil desires. And because they refused to obey, they brought upon them all the curses described in this covenant. Okay, so here we have the covenant, and we were talking about the covenant yesterday. We we read that chapter that was, um, it's we we read that chapter which is, uh, uh you know, the blessings and the cursings, mm-hmm. which are a part of the covenant, and in which large part are natural law. Mm. It's that simple. There is a very very simple equation. Look at the lives of people that follow Jesus Christ as a general rule and look at the lives of people that don't and compare the two. Mm -hmm. And there should be abundantly enough evidence right there for a person to go, yeah, you know what? My life would be just better off as a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, when I say that, um, there's going to be a whole host of people out there who are going to bring up a whole host of Abuses that have been committed by Christians, mm. um, people who are living terrible lives today as Christians. But what I'm going to talk about is just the general run-of-the-mill person who goes to church once a week. You know, I'm not talking about people who just, you know, uh, the Donald Trump kind of Christians who profess mm. Christianity has probably darkened a church door about five times in his life. And then, like, they ask him in the media, like, oh, yeah, so, you know, what's your favorite Bible verse? He's like, oh, that's very personal. That's not something I want to talk about. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's such a yikes, that video. That, that, oh, that's so awkward. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, I'm not talking about that kind of Christianity. I'm talking about people who just, you know, simply love God and love each other. Mm. You know, those kinds of Christians. Christians that are Bible Christians. Yes. That's the kind of Christians I'm talking about. These are not perfect Christians because they are weak, failing human beings like the rest of us. We are all broken and we all bring our brokenness to Christianity. Mm. But you compare the average church-going Christian here in Australia with the average non-church-going Christian, it's a very simple equation. I know which life I want to have. Mm. And I can see which life brings greater peace and harmony and success um, you know, not necessarily worldly success, but just success in life. And I just don't understand why more people don't see that. And that's just based around just natural law. Mm. It's been interesting because there are people who have uh, decided to practice Christianity who have been non-believers. Yeah, well. You know, just an well, experiment. There's, there's been a huge movement towards like moral traditionalism and all that stuff, you know, just in the recent years with people leading that like, you know, uh, Jordan Peterson, Ben Shapiro, these these ideas because they they see uh, the yeah the advantages the advantages of living a life like that. That's right. You know, there are so many Christian pe- principles that people just adopt because it'll make them more more successful. Yes, and it's oh, I actually had a conversation about this last night about this very thing. I was doing a Bible study. Uh, I, was, I was teaching a Bible study about the the destruction of the wicked actually. And you know, we came to the biblical conclusion that the destruction of the wicked is event is an event rather than a place, um, and that you know that they're ultimately destroyed and they exist no more. And, and the person asked me, "Well, then, what compels someone in this life um, to follow Jesus?" You know, if there isn't the punishment of eternal hellfire. And I said, "Well, two things. Firstly, an eternity with God is better than an eternity being dead. Like that's a pretty sure. simple equation. But secondarily." You know, a life lived on this earth with Christ 
is so much better than a life without one. You know, because the point that they were making is like, maybe they're just like, oh, if I'm just like destroyed once and for all at the end, I'll just, you know, do the suicide route. I'll just like live the most gnarly, sinful life ever and I'll just get destroyed at the end and, you know, I won't exist anymore and it's all good. But my point is, is that... That'd be a horrible life. It's a horrible life. Living your life without God... As a sinful, gnarly life. As a sinful, gnarly, bad life, constantly numbing yourself with worldly pleasures so that you don't end your life just to know that it's going to be ended anyway at the end whether you knew that well like whether you know that or not a life without god is numbing yourself this is what it looks like and i know because i've lived it you just numb yourself with worldly pleasures and don't think about the fact that you're going to die and everything's going to end that is literally your life is you just keep numbing yourself you keep numbing yourself because if you didn't well then you just end it all because what's the point what is the point but we believe in a god that can give us so much hope in the future amen but can give us so much today. Like, that's, 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 and, and I feel like that's what the covenant is all about, that God promises us, yes, he will save us in the if future. Need, He's done that. If you need an eternal hellfire just so you can come to God, then you've kind of missed the whole you've point. You've missed the point. Because, you have missed the point. Because a life with God today, that's what we want. Absolutely. Mm. All right, so if we go to Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, that's where we're going to go to next. Um, that'll be our next Bible passage, Genesis 6 and verse 5. See if you can head there real quick, Lawson, mm-hmm. uh, because it's going to talk about the antediluvian world. Uh, let's uh, see Genesis says. 6 and verse 5. No, I don't have enough time to read it. We'll come back right after this song break. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Um, as we've been talking about, the whole purpose of you know being a Christian, people just don't get it. <laughs> mm. And if and if you've never tried Christianity, just let me say this this morning: you owe it to yourself to give it a go. Yeah, and to give it a fair go. Mm-hmm. I was chatting with a uh, we had a ministers um, get together yesterday, and so there was a bunch of ministers from the Hunter Valley region, and we simply met around a campfire. On the banks of the Hunter River, it was just peaceful and nice and we sat there and we chatted and we shared and it was just an amazing environment in which we could just talk about ministry. Mm. Anyway, one of the ministers there was talking about, uh, you know, supernatural events that you see happen and people's lives that are changed, you know, these kind of things, miracles and so forth. And one of the stories that he told, and I'll probably get the details a little incorrect, Mm. But they won't be far off. Basically, chatting with a very secular person, atheist person is like, "Well, I don't believe in God. I can't believe in God. Why should I believe in God? You know, this is um, this is you know, you're just talking to the to the uh, to the fairy in the sky kind of thing." Mm. And so the pastor challenged him and said, "Okay, but there could be something really, really good and really, really powerful that you're missing out on. Mm. It's possible that it exists, and you just." have an experience and don't know about it. So why don't you do this? Why don't you just pretend for the next week? Pretend that God exists for the next week and pray to God pretending that he exists mm. and see what happens. And so this guy started to pray on a regular basis. He doesn't believe in God, right? Mm. does not believe in God. He starts to pray to God as if God truly does exist. Three days later, he gave his heart to God. Wow, yeah, mm. yeah, that's powerful. Oh man, that's and so, so this is this epic. is my challenge to you this morning. This is my major challenge to you this morning as a listener. If you've never experienced God, or if you're wondering about the existence of God, put God to the test. Mm. You know the Bible. The Jesus says, um, you know, 
Taste and see that the Lord is good. The Bible says, if you look for me with all your heart, I will be found of you. I find that there are people who are subconsciously scared of finding God. Mm. And so every time they get close to finding God, they pull away and uh, pull back into debates. Yeah. And what that debate come, becomes is just a distraction from the fact that the voice of the Holy Spirit is speaking to their heart. Mm. And they talk about this topic and that topic and it becomes intellectual when God is just calling to their heart, calling to their heart, calling to their heart. And the only way they can actually quieten that voice is to have an intellectual discussion, which becomes a distraction, which is you know very interesting in and of itself. It's fascinating and all, um, great to have. Mm. But it's just another way of silencing the voice of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And the point and is denying that the Holy Spirit is actually calling. Like and those intellectual discussions, like there are answers for. And there's Of course there are. Ministries on ministries on ministries of oh, work yes. that people have done to answer those questions. Been answered a million times over. Like, all of them. Like in favor of God. Of course. Yet we still, you know, go they they we all of us, we have like that that thing that we go back to that in in inhibits us from taking that step. That's right. Um, but yeah, when we hear God's voice and we make that decision, like this is, I, I think you've made this point before. I remember actually it was like 2017. Uh, we're at a, uh, you were preaching an evangelistic series for, for Maitland Church up at the Gillisonites Community Center. And uh, you said, yeah, I've never seen someone throw their life away by giving it to Jesus. Exactly. In fact, exactly. Like find me somebody Mm-hmm. who gave their life to Jesus truly and sincerely and turned their life into a train wreck by doing so. Mm. Like, you know, find someone who's worse off for doing it. Exactly. This like, is a really, really simple equation. Mm-hmm. It, it's good. Eh? You said it better than I did. <laughs> but you said it. <laughs> and, this is, and this is what the blessings and the cursings is all about. Yes. This is what God is communicating mm-hmm. to us. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is a, uh, a situation where you can't look. What have you got to lose? Why are you so scared of giving your life to Jesus Christ? Mm. You know, and, and people come back. Oh well, I don't know whether God exists, and how can I? You know, and you know all all of these kinds of. Uh, you know, I'm like, what are you scared of? Yeah. What do you have to lose? Mm-hmm. Is in, in what way is your life going to become worse if you give your life to Jesus Christ? Mm. In what way is it going to become? You know, what's it, what's it going to take away from your life and from your experience? I think something that holds a lot of people up is maybe some of the, uh, you know, activities that they engage in. Sure. Where they're like, oh, you know, if I if I become a Christian, then I need to stop doing this. You know, I want to highlight this morning, like, you know, things like, uh, you know, substance abuse, drinking, yes. smoking, yes. you know, drugs. Yes. All those. That was an experience that I had. It's and exactly. It's, you could not illustrate my point more clearly. And it's, it's, What have you got to lose? And it's so interesting because you talk to those people. When you get right down to the heart of it, they would rather live without it. They would rather give it up, but they're scared. They're like, uh-huh. look, I don't know if I can. Like, I actually just don't know if I'm strong enough. That's what it comes down to. Is that because I've, no I've one yet wants. To, I've yet to make it meet a drug addict, right? Mm. Who's just like, I never want to get off these drugs. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I've yet to meet that drug addict. Yeah. I, I've, I've had, you know, them bring up all kinds of excuses and, you know, different reasons and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But every drug addict I've met, Deep down in their heart, they want out. Do drug addicts, smokers, eat, even drinkers, people alcohol, who drink well, alcohol. Al- alcoholism is just another. Alcohol is just another drug. It's 100%. just a, it's a recreational drug. That's all it is, and it's 
same as the rest of them. You know, it's the most destructive recreational It's the most destructive. But alcohol is so interesting because, it, you know, it has this aura around it. It seems as though it's the one that you can get away with doing, right? You can live a life, you can live a good life doing. That's the narrative that we're sold. But, you know, there's so many of these people that I talk to. I used to be one of them, but there's so many people that I talk to that's like, oh, man, no, it's like, I'm quitting drinking. Like, it's over. You know, they have that big, they have that big night, which is like, the big night is like the, the, the logical conclusion of drinking alcohol. It's like, oh, the, the big night, uh, you know, going out of the town, doing whatever, having the big night, you know, uh, you know, drinking. But all of them afterwards regret it. Yes. All of them afterwards, yes. like, I want to quit drinking. I want to give this up. There, there's that moment of, 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 you know, uh, post use clarity. And yes. like, I want to get this out of my life. And I, you know, you sit there and you're like, I know how. I know how. I know how you can live a better life. I know how you can get rid of this. I know how you can be happier and have to live without it. As I mentioned before, life without God is just numbing yourself until you die. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. And it's like, I know how you can finally get out of that experience. I have the opt out, you know, measure. You know, the, the hotline right here, it's called the Bible. It's called a relationship with Jesus. And it, and it's just, yeah, I really love that story about the person just pretends. The person just pretends, but then they get, they realize, they understand. God is so clear, taste in the sea that the Lord is good. You know, come let us reason together. Like, God is just sitting there, he's waiting. He's like, oh, why don't you actually give it a try? Take the, take the Pepsi challenge. Bible says go. the Bible says here in Jeremiah. Yes, the, the Christian one. Yeah, the Christian Pepsi challenge. <laughs> <laughs> when you said that, I'm like, oh, wait, wait, wait a minute, another addictive substance. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the Bible says in Jeremiah three and verse one, if a man divorces his wife and she leaves him and marries another man, mm. should he return to her again? Would not the land be completely defiled? But you have lived as a prostitute with many love- lovers. Would you now return to me? Declares the Lord. Okay, so that's a pretty accurate description of us as human beings and probably one of the reasons why subconsciously we resist coming back to God because we look at you know, the mess that our life has been. Mm. And then, uh, well, what is the result? What does God actually have to say? Well, God says, But like a woman unfaithful to her husband, so you, Israel, have been unfaithful to me, declares the Lord, and God says, I will buy you back. Amen. And Jesus came to this earth 2,000 years ago and he came to Calvary and he bid his life for you and I because it was something that Satan could never outbid. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. That means that we have come to... Question of the Day. Okay, so what's our question of the day today? Our question of the day is... Okay, this actually... I read this and it kind of stumped me because I have no idea. Lyle. Yes. Please explain the 6,000-year prophecy. Okay, there is no 6,000-year prophecy. That's what I thought. Explanation ended. The longest time prophecy in the Bible is a 2,300-year time prophecy. There is no 6,000-year time prophecy, but there is a 6,000-year analogy. Uh-huh. Okay, so uh, what we're going to look at is a passage that is in Second Peter chapter three. So we'll flick over to Second Peter chapter three, and we will go to uh, verse eight, where the Bible says, "But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day." All right, so you know God 
sees time in a different way to us. And a thousand years to God is like a day. Mm-hmm. Okay, so think about this for a moment then. How many years has it been approximately since Eden? Around 6,000 years. Around 6,000 years. All right, that's interesting. Um, how many years will we spend with Jesus immediately after the second coming? Uh, a thousand. A thousand years. So how many years is that in total? Seven. Thousand. Seven thousand years. Does does now that a thousand years of of peace with Jesus mm. is obviously um, a time of rest and rejoicing mm-hmm. and worship, etc. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you start to see some parallels now? Yes. Okay. Six thousand years of sin followed by a thousand years of rest. Mm-hmm. Six days shall you labor, and on the seventh you shall rest. The Bible says. And what you're going to find is that this is a a uh, a format that is used in many different ways in the Bible. I'll give you a couple of other examples. Every seven years, they, the the Israelites were told to work for seven years to plant their crops, harvest their crops, um, all of that kind of thing for seventh years for for six years, and then on the seventh they were told not to plant any crops at all. Mm-hmm. But they would eat whatever it was that just grew by itself. Now this is a very good form of agriculture. It works to this day. Uh, if you let the land rest, if you if you if you just if you just you know continually draw out of the land year after year after year, you draw all of the nutrients out of the land and nothing goes back in, then your land becomes dull. If you let that land rest every seven years, you're going to get bumper crops. So it's a it's mm. a it's a principle that works well and it w- works to this day simply from an agri- agricultural principle. But not only that, but uh, after six years, all of the slaves, or what I would call um, low-paid subcontractors, mm-hmm. would be set free. Their contract would come to an end every seventh year. And so you've got this principle of six years of work, one year of rest. Six days of work, one day of rest. And then you had the Jubilee year. The Jubilee year, seven times seven is 49 and so on the 49th year, you would blow a trumpet and proclaim a jubilee. And this would be like one of the sabbatical years, the mm-hmm. difference being that on this particular year, um, all property would return to its original owner or the descendants of that original owner. And so this was capitalism with um, self-correction. Yes. So it was self-correcting capitalism that was operating, which is just a marvellous system when you actually look into it. Okay, so um, what you then find is that people draw the parallel and say, okay, it seems to us that all of the signs that Jesus are coming back are being fulfilled, and that's a fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems that we're about 6,000 years from creation, and that's a fact. Uh, therefore, it seems logical that there is an analogy between you know what God is doing here. God has a method. God has a system, and so uh, sometime very soon, Jesus is going to return and usher in that sabbatical thousand years. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, what's interesting about that is determining when that six thousand years comes to an end. Yes. And a lot of people are like, "When does it end? We need to know because when we know that, then we will know Jesus is coming back." And there've been a lot of dates set. Uh, the first one that I heard as a young person studying Bible prophecy was uh, set by Kenneth Cox. Uh, based on this principle, he set the year uh, for the return of Christ, 1994. 
and that kind of failed. One of the more recent ones, uh, Walter Weith has said it at uh, 2027, um, not as a prediction for the return of Christ, he says, but, you know, it's a bit of a long story. But um, my thing is this, any attempt, any attempt to set a date or a period for the return of Christ other than the fact that we are living in the end of times is a violation of Scripture. There are mm. no prophetic periods that extend past the 2,300-day prophecy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is the longest prophecy and prof- time prophecy, predicted periods, ended when that prophecy came to an end in 1844. There will be no date set mm-hmm. in prophecy after 1844. The Bible is absolutely crystal clear on that. This is The Downing Family with Jesus is Coming Soon. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.